This week on Daiwa, we're featuring Adams County. Capital punishment is reintroduced after it was previously abolished. Welcome to Daiwa, the first Iowa-focused true crime podcast, where there's 99 counties and a murder in every one. These are your hosts, Beth LaValley and Allie Tulin. Adams County, also according to the 2010 census, Iowa's least populated county and located in southwest Iowa. I think I've driven through it, but adding it to our list after finding out it's Johnny Carson's birthplace and there is a French Icarian village. Okay, I know Johnny Carson <laughs> knew the Johnny Carson fact. Mm-hmm. But please explain this French Icarian village you speak of. All right. So according to their website, the Icarians were looking to build a communal utopian society, kind of like the mana colony that we've talked about before, but, you know, where everyone is treated equally. So in 1848, they made the journey from France to Adams County in the new state of Iowa. And they actually had five colonies in the U.S., but the Iowa County is the largest. And they were there from 1852 to 1898. And some of of the original colony has been restored. And their original fall festival, which would take place um, the last day that the corn was harvested, can now be celebrated in Corning, Iowa, with a four-course French supper. Oh my gosh. Need to (laughs) attend. But then... Do you think it's all four courses are corn? Oh my god. (laughs) Corning, yeah, oh, for sure. But, sorry, the coolest fun fact is that one of the original Icarians was the architect that went on to design the state capital in Des Moines. That is so cool. Yeah. I hype up Iowa a lot, but I think Iowa's capital building is the prettiest in all of America. I agree. Oops. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Okay, let's get to the murder of this episode. This episode, we are specifically in Prescott, Iowa, which is just 14 minutes away from Corning. It is 1892. Grover Cleveland wins his second presidential run. The Chicago L elevated railway opened. And listeners, you'll love this. Lizzie Borden's father and stepmother are found murdered in their homes in Massachusetts. So at this point, Iowa had only been a state for 46 years. In 1890, Iowa's population was just under 2 million. And for reference, Iowa's population is now a little over 3 million. So I feel like we've got some growth to do. Yeah, we've grown a bit (laughs) since 1890. I don't know if it's enough. (laughs) I don't know. But thanks for adding the Lizzie Borden fact. That really sets the scene for me. Mm -hmm. Of course. So in this murder, we're talking about the Coons family. The father, William Coons, he's mentioned in the paper with a few different first names, but we're going to just call him Mr. Coons. Mr. Coons lives on a rented farm with his wife, Lucinda, and daughter, Nellie, near Prescott. And newspapers from the time reported that Mr. Coons was well off and owned a farm nearby, but that the house he lived in was, quote, a miserable hovel having only one room in which the whole family lived. Oh, no. No. And uh, the Coons also have another family member staying with them. Mrs. Coons' nephew, James Dooley, was living with the family and helped out on the farm as their hired man. James Dooley was 16 at the time. 
And on May 11th, 1892, Mr. Coons returned home to find his wife and daughter both dead and laying on the bed of their single-room house. Mrs. Coons's clothes were described as being disarrayed and her hands bound. Her nephew, Dooley, was nowhere in sight. According to the Quad City Times, Mr. Coons alerted his neighbors, and in Prescott, it's learned that Dooley had brought a forged order to a hardware firm for a revolver. All right, so two days later, Dooley is tracked down in Villisca, Iowa, and he's at the train depot writing a telegram. It's not reported who the telegram was to or what it said, but police did report that a murder weapon, which was a revolver, was found in his overcoat pocket. So they placed him in a boxcar of a freight train and brought him back to Corning, Iowa. And while in Corning, he denied committing the murder until about noon. And at that time, he reportedly broke down and confessed his guilt. Here's the information the sheriff got from Dooley. He was fighting with Mrs. Coons and had struck her with a padlock after she scolded him for getting drunk. According to the Morning Democrat of Davenport, after she fell, he, quote, denied ravishing her. But the position of the body and clothing contradict this, unquote. Mrs. Coons's 10-year-old daughter then ran into the room and he struck her too. Evidence shows that Dooley also shot the daughter after she escaped from the house. A pool of blood was found on the outside of the house, along with a bullet hole in the side. So while Dooley's in Corning, it's reported that a mob of about a thousand people waited for him to be taken away on a train into another western Iowa town. The mob wanted to hang Dooley themselves, but he was guarded by deputies until the train arrived and ended up taking him to Council Bluffs, Iowa. He was tried at the district court in Corning, convicted, and sentenced to be hanged. The case was then carried to the Supreme Court, which affirmed the decision of the lower court. After the sentencing, it was reported that Dooley seemed indifferent. Papers reported he had no idea how terrible his crime was. A couple of years go by, and it's now 1894. Dooley is imprisoned at the Fort Madison Penitentiary, and his execution is scheduled for Friday, October 19th. And it's the first execution to take place in Iowa since the passage of the law making capital punishment a possibility again. It had previously been abolished from 1872 to 1878. In 1872, a Quaker and Unitarian population persuaded the governor, Cyrus Carpenter, to sign the first legislation to abolish the death penalty in Iowa. The abolition only lasted for six years because there was a national economic depression and a wave of crime in Iowa. Mobs seeking justice often formed and carried out lynchings, which were blamed on the absence of the death penalty. So in 1878, capital punishment was reinstated in order to bring an end to the lynchings and lower the crime rate. It was reported Dooley walked to the scaffold unassisted and made a speech without a tremor. The speech he gave said the law was defective and that he hoped those present and the executioner would be forgiven by God as he had been. He was quoted saying, You have violated the law. The law allows only 17 persons to witness the execution. There are 25 present now and more are coming. A poor man can violate it and he suffers the penalty. The rich man can do the same and he goes free. I hope God will forgive your sins as I know mine are. Okay, after listening to that, I think I might be haunted for the rest of my life. (laughs) And yeah, he's only 18 years old when he says that and just like a hired farmhand. Yeah. A little insane. At 12.14 p.m., Sheriff Eldridge of Adams County sprung the trap and Dooley was dropped five to seven feet in the corridor of his cell room. However, the drop did not break his neck. 
He struggled for more than 15 minutes. A group of 40 people were there to witness the execution. However, no family was present. He had a mother, sister, and two brothers all living in Nebraska. None of them had visited during his confinement either. Dooley was 18 at the time of his death. Mr. Coons remarried and lived for 30 more years after the murder of his wife and daughter. His obituary says, William H. Coons, an old and respected citizen of Prescott, passed away Wednesday after an illness of about two weeks. It appears that Mr. Coons and Lucinda also had a son who was not reported on during the murder. His name was Aldo, and he would have been 23 and probably living outside the home at this time. Aldo Coons lived in Prescott until his death in 1955. He married and had nine children. The Coons family is all buried in the Evergreen Cemetery in Prescott. All right, well, after this, I know I have a few questions about capital punishment for taps. What about you? Yep, let's get him on the phone. Sounds good. Hey, Taps. Long time no Gre- see. Greetings. All right. So we are talking about Adams County and everything that happened with James Dooley. So we know capital punishment is a sensitive topic, but would like to hear your thoughts on it. What arguments have you heard for or against it? Well, I mean, the arguments for it are capital people that commit murder that are executed don't commit more murders. That's the number one. The number one against it is the civilized society killed because somebody is killed. And I'm, I'm very conflicted about capital punishment. First of all, it's very expensive. It's a lot more expensive than life imprisonment because of the appellate process and everything else that goes in it. That's really interesting because I, I feel like most people say it's ex- like the argument for it is a lot of people say it's expensive to have people in prison. Well, it's very expensive to have people in prison, but it's more expensive to execute them. And uh, the Nebraska legislature did away with capital punishment uh, about three or four years ago with a Republican-leaning legislature. And Nebraska, of course, has a unicameral, so it's a single legislative body. But their argument, all these conservatives' argument, to get rid of it was how expensive it was. And then some people put it on the ballot, and the Nebraska voters voted it back in. But here's where I'm conflicted. How do we punish someone that kills when they're in prison? So in other words, somebody is serving a life without parole or even a lesser sentence than prison and kills another inmate or kills a prison guard. What is the punishment for that? Because if they're serving life without parole and then they kill again, can't serve two lives without parole. Interesting. What do they normally do now if that happens? They try them and add the second sentence, but it really has no effect. And I don't know how many of those there are. I don't think there's that many, obviously. Do you have any idea how many people die in prison in general? Uh, No, but I can tell you that a lot more people are dying in prison because sentences were lengthened in the 1980s and 1990s to the point now that prisons have nursing home type care. They train inmates to be certified nurse assistants. And they run nursing homes and even some of the larger prison systems have memory units or Alzheimer's units because prisoners are getting so old. At what point does someone get like a special release though? Because, you know, you hear of those people who have like a terminal illness and they'll get out of prison. Woman in Iowa a few years ago accused or sentenced for killing her mother and developed 
uh, stage four, I believe it was breast cancer, while she was serving her time at Mitchellville outside of Des Moines. She asked the pardons board, even though she was serving life without parole, she asked the board for parole because she only had weeks or months to live, just asking for mercy, generally. Her brother showed up at the parole board hearing and argued against it, saying that she had killed their mother and that he was promised she would never leave prison. I think ultimately she was released and died like a month or six weeks later after she was released. Wow. All right. And I know this is kind of a long one, but we wanted to cover what happened with the Iowa Dessens. So, you know, Iowa actually abolished it a few, the death penalty a few times. The first was in 1872. And it was interesting because it's reported that there was this anti-death penalty sentiment due to Quaker and Unitarian um, religious sentiments, but Presbyterians and Congregationalists advocated the retention of the death penalty on biblical grounds. It was then reinstated in 1878. As of 2020, Iowa is only one of 22 states to completely have abolished capital punishment. It's interesting to us that it was like, Presbyterians and Congregationalists wanted the death penalty back. Do you know anything about that? I know we've covered in past episodes, like lynchings being a thing, people really wanting to take justice in their own hands. Do you think it was just along those lines? I mean, Iowa is one of the first states to abolish the death penalty in the modern era in the 19, early 1960s. And since then, there's been kind of a growing wave of states that have abolished the death penalty. And even public opinion for the death penalty has gone down over the last 20 to 25 years. It's interesting because the death penalty bill comes up in the Iowa legislature almost every year. And even with the Republicans having both houses of the legislature and a Republican governor, it has not passed. There's a lot of issues. One of the issues is the three drug cocktail that is now used for capital punishment. Uh, when the Swedish, or excuse me, the Swiss drug maker took out the first part of that cocktail on ethical grounds, states have experimented on how to do executions in that way. And they've, it's been a struggle, some of them going to the Supreme Court. So there's just been a lot of issues with it. Again, it's very expensive. But there are still states obviously doing it. And then the federal government got back into the business a little bit here in the last uh, few years, McVeigh being the one that's probably most famous, but all the way up until December, there were executions being done. And I think they're done um, in Indiana at the federal penitentiary there. And would you say it's more common for Republican states to have it still? Yeah, it's more of a conservative issue than it is a liberal issue. For instance, the Catholic Church is very anti-death penalty. So there are religious factions that argue pro and con against it. Mm-hmm. Okay, moving away from death penalty stuff, um, just a random question on when does the sheriff slash the county work a crime scene versus a police officer? Is that just like city limits or? Yeah, it's all jurisdiction. Okay. Um, so if, if something happens within the city limits, it's usually the jurisdiction of the police department and then anything out in the unincorporated areas or in towns that have contracted with the sheriff, smaller towns, which is pretty common in Iowa, uh, then the sheriff works those calls. Okay. And then I feel like, at least from my TV experience, (laughs) there's like a lot of transferring of cases back and forth. 
how are there policies around that or is that just a judgment call? Yeah, I don't I don't see it very often. Where I have seen it, where there are cases where a murder was committed possibly in one jurisdiction and the body was left in another jurisdiction, or there may be some questions about where the actual murder occurred because the body was transferred from one place to another. The feds will get involved if there's a federal question to the homicide. That, again, doesn't happen very often. Sometimes Man Act cases where people were abducted across state lines, things of that nature. And then, of course, there's a lot of jurisdictions that will ask for help. And especially in Iowa, where you have a lot of small town police departments and stuff, they in many times will rely on a state agency like the Division of Criminal Investigation come in and help work their murder cases. Going back to lynchings again, because it seems like that was something that early Iowans thought they could do. How does a sheriff handle people wanting to put justice into their own hands and and prevent that? Well, I mean, lynchings were common all over the country in the 1800s. And in the early 1900s, there was a famous lynching in Omaha, Nebraska, where an African-American was accused of sexual assault against a female. He was taken into custody and the mob surrounded the jail, which was in the courthouse, and then attempted to burn the courthouse down. And they overwhelmed the sheriff and a few deputies and and grabbed the guy and killed him, actually drug him around the streets of Omaha, drug his body around, and then hung him from a lamppost. I feel like Jane Fonda talked about that. I think that Henry Fonda witnessed it. That that might be possible. Because he grew up in Omaha. Like 19, I want to say 13 or 15, something like that. Um, There used to be even burn scars yet in the courthouse in Douglas County where the fire occurred. But I mean, sheriffs, especially in those periods, didn't have that many deputies and they were overwhelmed a lot of the time. So they would move prisoners before the crowd could get to them. Do you think that's why, so that is why James Dooley was transferred to like a place like Council Bluffs for a time being? I assume. I mean, they probably had a more secure jail and they wanted to get him away from the crowd. I'm curious, have you ever been at a death sentencing in the courtroom? Yep. Yeah. Uh, One of my cases, there is uh, the suspect, the convicted person is sitting on death row currently in another state. Wow. I can imagine that's just like a very somber courtroom. It is. Um, in most of those cases, though, now under the new law, after the Supreme Court did away with the death penalty, I guess it would have been the late, well, it actually been in the early 1970s, and then brought it back again about 1975 or 76. There's now a bifurcated hearing that occurs in most states. So the trial occurs, the person is found guilty, and then the same jury is impaneled in a second hearing to weigh the mitigating and aggravating circumstances of the penalty. And that's when the actual death sentence is given. So it's actually a separate a hearing. Sometimes it happens you know, weeks or whatever afterwards. I think some states it happens right after the guilty plea is had. So some of the tensions left out of the courtroom now with these two hearings. Do you think that Dooley was at his aunt and uncle's house just because he needed a job or any theories there on, on what his motive was for doing this? No, not really. I mean, just whether it's a crime of opportunity or he actually premeditated for a long time over it, it's hard to say. People of that age, usually there's not a huge amount of planning that goes on, but it's just difficult to say. It just seemed like there was a lot of circumstantial evidence 
that made you think that he was the right guy. Yeah, I think you're right that it's mostly circumstantial here. But I don't think I have any other specific questions. Do you have final thoughts? Other questions, Allie? I don't think I have any other questions either. So yeah, final thoughts. Well, I mean, here we are in the early part of the last century trying to solve crime without all of the science and forensics we have today. Almost all of the crime solving would be on human factors, you know, whether a person confessed or whatever. So I just, I'm, I can't imagine these guys trying to solve these things back in the day without the manpower and the forensics and all those things we have today. So true. Well, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you later. Okay. Oh, hello there. As a marketer, I hate promotions like this. Same and same. But I love content. Me too. So if you like our content, give us a like, follow, share, subscribe, note, fax, literally anything you think would help us continue making Daiwa a success. Thank you, thank you, thank you.